Are you tired of the same old pro wrestling? Then check out the amazing action on Powerslam.tv, the biggest indie pro wrestling channel in the world. Get over 4,000 hours of the best pro wrestling events from over 110 of the biggest names in the industry from over 15 countries around the globe. Get your free trial today at Powerslam.tv. The following is brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network. episode 22 of the show that's about all things elite welcome to all things elite i am your host floyd johnson with me today is my faithful co-host amy oh how you doing today amy i am doing fantastic how are you doing floyd i am doing great we are here to review fight for the fallen but before we start our review before uh, Amy takes over the lead on this show. I would like you to remind you that All Things Elite is brought to you by Power Slam TV. Power Slam TV, where you can get access to over 4,000 hours of content from over 110 of your favorite wrestling brands from countries all around the globe, right onto your laptop and mobile devices. If you use the code Social Suplex, you get the first month free. Also, to be sure to be following how you get our show is by. Uh, subscribing to the Social Suplex Podcast Network on all of your podcast apps. And that's it. There you go, Amy. All right. Well, let's dive right into Fight for the Fallen. This was a great show with a ton of variety in this card. And we also saw it was set up in a different kind of venue. I really loved the setup that they had for the stage where the venue was kind of half indoors, half outdoors. I believe the venue was set up as like a concert venue that Tony Khan runs. And of course, now that we have AEW, they have a venue that they can use there in Jacksonville. And I really enjoyed just the setup of the venue itself, not to mention the overall card. What were your thoughts on... Fighter Fest, the venue, the card, how it was stacked up, how it was set up before we start getting into what we actually thought of the entire show. What were your thoughts heading into it? Uh, well, uh, as far as the setup, I saw a tweet from Tony Khan later that it was inspired by an episode of South Park. No I actually, way! Yes, I actually shared it uh, on the All Things Elite page. He showed a picture of the setup, and he, and then he showed how it was set up. 
uh, how it was set up from the actual episode of South Park, where it was just like all the fans facing towards the ring with like the house build up. And yeah, it was, it was from an episode of South Park. Oh my God, that's amazing. <laughs> that is fantastic. I'll have to look for that. Yes. Now that you said that, that totally makes sense. I had no idea, but that is hilarious. And also, because the chance that they had later in the night, which we'll talk about, totally tie into that, too. Yes, and it's kind of funny that I, I always say it's, it, you know, when I talk about, you know, this group, I say they know what's hot and they know what's relevant to people now. You know, Tony Khan, a little younger than me, but we're about the same age. South Park was a big part of my high school experience right there with the attitude area. It was, we, you know, knowing about South Park and talking about South Park, this is huge deal. So it's like that, that being a reference for the show was kind of cool. I, uh, first thing I noticed, I did not know this at notice at first, or I actually like earlier in the week, I found out it was outside. So that made me very, very happy. I could not make the show. I don't like outside. It's not my favorite thing in the world. And Florida heat and humidity and being outside would have drained me quickly. I felt like that had a effect on the fans. Because you towards, know, probably. Yeah, You're towards, probably right. Towards the end of the show, they got a, you could tell they got a little wore down. And it was just like they were trying. because and you could tell they were trying because it would spike and cheer, 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 and then nothing. Then spike and tear, 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 and then nothing. And it's just like trying to keep up that energy in that uh, in that weather. I know I know a lot of people from Florida are used to it, but like me, I would I wouldn't have taken to it well. But the, uh, the card was really good. The card was really good, and I even said um, I've I've been talking to my fiance earlier, and I was like, she was like, "What was how was the show?" And I said, "It was a really good show. It wasn't a home run." like Double or Nothing and Fighter Fest to that point. But it was a really good show. And I was like, it, they needed this. And she asked, why would you Why would you say they need this? Because not every show is going to be a home run. It's whether you can stay hot, stay relevant, stay with fans buying tickets, and stay with people engaged when you just have a good show that will show the longevity of your product. I absolutely agree. And I know we were talking about this to kind of get a feel as to how we felt about the show um, overall before we started. And, you know, I, I fully agree with you. I thought this was a great, solid show. There were a lot of polls going around on Twitter. Of course, All Things Elite, we had a poll running out on ours, too. I would give the show a solid B. I thought it was a great show. Not their best show. I loved Fighter Fest. I know that that was mixed among the fans, but I loved Fighter Fest. Double or Nothing was just an absolute home run. And I think that you're right that, you know, promotions need to have something to base their home runs on. And if you're looking at a show like this that's got a stacked card, it's had a lot of really great surprises and a lot of really great energy, having a show like this be a solid show, not be their best show. That's probably a pretty good place to be if you're a new wrestling company to have, you know, a show that maybe isn't the home run still be a solid show. Yeah, I was I was also making the point if the TV if this is the standard of their TV every week, I think they'll blow wrestling ratings like for the last 10 years out of the water. Because I, yeah, this is I, I, better I, yeah. than any standard TV show that is on this that is on right now 
And it also is going to give them a really great opportunity to pull the things that they're doing on being the elite, for instance, into the focal point of the viewers so that they have context. That's actually one of the things um, that I appreciated about commentary, which I know we'll talk more about that later, um, was that Excalibur started bringing some of the background aspects that they've been doing on being the elite into the foreground with commentary to give some context. So I think that once they are able to pull all of those things together, it's going to be really interesting to see how they run that on their TNT weekly show format. Hey, yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, they have to, they'll have to deal with commercial timeouts and things like that. Even in a two hour show, I think it's about what, uh, I think you get 20, 18 to 20 minutes of commercials. So, it's about an hour. It's about an hour and twenty minutes of actual wrestling in-ring product. So I mean, it, so it'll be a diff, little different as opposed to they don't get two to three hours of uninterrupted TV. But I'm just saying, if they can a, keep that stay, same level of quality, that B level of quality on a weekly show. I mean, like I said, it'll be better than anything that's on TV because a lot of times when you see different TV shows, and I'm talking about all of them, this is not just at WWE or anything like all of them, you'll get some C shows, you'll get some D shows very much, very often where you're just kind of trying to make it through the show. So if you can get it to be like this show kept me engaged, there were a couple things I didn't like, a couple lulls in the show, but for the most part, it's still maintained to keep me engaged. Oh, absolutely. Now let's go ahead and dive into the show because the very first thing that kicked things off was something I was really excited about and was for me one of those high points of the show, which was, believe it or not, when Peter Avalon came out as the librarian, I was really curious to see how this was going to play out because the librarians didn't necessarily get a warm response after Fighter Fest. So out comes Peter Avalon. He is in this glorious wizard robe <laughs> looking thing and he comes out to a chorus of boos and this to me was a real turning point because either you could take this and try to work it as the librarians you know just as the gimmick that they were and go against the crowd or you could go with the crowd look at what's happening and work that and peter avalon absolutely nailed that all of a sudden you've got the librarians coming out their heels, they know their heels, they're working the crowd as heels, and then you have Sonny Kiss, and this is his first really big introduction with AEW. He's been a part of um, some of the multi-man matches already, but this is where he really gets a chance to shine, and he comes out with the Jacksonville Jaguars cheerleaders, he's out there busting a move, he's doing gymnastics, he looks fantastic, and I thought this was the perfect way to set that sort of dynamic in this match, especially with the librarians, and then immediately, because you have him set against Peter Avalon, Sonny Kiss is totally elevated, and people are super jazzed to see him. What did you think about this match? All right. So, first of all, I did not know which way they were leaning with the librarians. I didn't know if it was supposed to be a heel gimmick. I didn't know if it was supposed to be a face gimmick. I know the last match they had, you know, Peter Avalon accidentally costingly uh, leave of the match. So, I really didn't know. I liked that they went full on. This is a heel gimmick, you know. He and Peter Avalon in on the Indies or where he was working, he's he's a great heel. I had seen him work as a heel. So once he leaned into the fact that this is a heel gimmick, you see that it actually works. 
it works as a heel gimmick. Because no matter what, because people hate the librarian gimmick so much, whoever comes out is going to at least be 20% more over. Then Sony, Sonny Kiss comes out. And Sonny Kiss is that entrance, that everything made him look made him look like a star. And it was just like you saw a double or nothing because uh he was in a battle royal. Uh, there was you didn't really you he got his hope spot, but he didn't really get that same introduction to who he was, but with this entrance, uh the energy that he brought rocking the Jacksonville Jaguars jersey, it was like, okay, Sonny Kiss is the person you're supposed to root for. And of course with this crowd, first match hot, they get behind Sonny Kiss amazingly athletic. Oh my God. I was just like very impressed with uh, him. And you know, it was a pretty much, I mean, librarians playing the jobber role. It was a very much, a, um, a very much uh, a, a showcase for Sonny kiss. And I think it did everything that they wanted it to do. Oh, absolutely. And also as a note to um, the Jacksonville Jaguars cheerleaders coming out, this was a show in Jacksonville. And of course, there were people who flew out to go see it. But there were also a lot of local people there. I mentioned this on Twitter. I have a friend who lives in Jacksonville and she watches WWE all the time. And um, she had heard about AEW, of course, because they had their uh, rally, their announcement rally back in January was directly across from where SmackDown was having their show. My friend was going to see SmackDown show and she saw the fireworks from the rally. So she was there in the audience um, for this show because she is a massive Jacksonville Jaguars fan. So having people immediately kick off the show in Jacksonville with the Jacksonville Jaguars cheerleaders and having in the pre-show and sort of at the beginning of the matches, having some Jacksonville Jaguars tie-ins to this was actually a huge thing for people like her who came because they're huge marks for the Jacksonville Jaguars. So I thought that was a really fun and really smart way to sort of bring those communities together. Yes, it was definitely a great way to do it. They had uh, mascots, and, and you know, and they did focus on this being a local show to help the local community, the gun, victims of gun violence in Jackson, uh, Jacksonville. So I thought that was a much-needed touch to really focus on it being about the local show. And uh, I thought, that, yeah, I, 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 like I said, it was funny because I'm looking at the CBS and they gave this a D, and I was like, I would have gave this opening an A because, you know, the goal the goal was to get the librarians over as heels, to get Sonny Kiss over as a face, and to showcase what Sonny Kiss can do in the ring. Yeah. They did everything. They checked every box. I don't know how I don't know how you could go like 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 I feel like this was one of the highest points of the show. And it was yeah. the opening. It was a great great way to kick it off for sure. Um so the next match was really interesting because we have a women's match and this is something that AEW fans are really excited to see because we have such a varied roster. It's always really great to see what they have in store for the women of this division. I personally was particularly excited about this match because this was going to be B Priestley's debut in All Elite Wrestling. B Priestley is the World of Stardom champion 
in Japan. She is a phenomenal wrestler. And I was absolutely blown away by her presence in this match. From the very second her music hit and she walked down that ramp, there was just this moment where all eyes went to her. You were super curious about this enigma of who in the world is this? She comes out looking like a badass, strong, like heel character in this match. I'm pretty sure it's safe to just say that B Priestley was the heel in this match, but oh man, she was great to watch. We also had Shoko Nakajima with her, um, and they were, of course, against Britt Baker and Riho. And it was also really great to see Riho again, too. Um, I'm already pretty familiar with Britt Baker from All In, and so I'm really excited about her and what she's doing. She is a polished star of the women's division. So it's always really great to see what else AEW has to offer. And I think they really knocked it out of the park with this match, even though... There were a few missteps, which I know we'll get to talk about. What were your thoughts on this women's match? Oh, B. Priestley is a star. Uh, I mean, like, you know, they talk about it. She has it. She, I mean, and it's like she didn't have to tell you she was a heel. She didn't even have to do anything overly heelish. She has a heel energy about her. Her facial expressions, her walk to the ring, her, everything about her said hill and then when she started working she's fast she's crisp you know she can you can tell like i had seen her wrestle before a couple years ago and i would say she's 10 times better than she was and i'm not just saying that because she's in aew it was just like it there was a notable noticeable confidence to her work and uh and then the nakajima uh, the Kai, uh, I, th I think that the, what did they call her? Kaiju? I'm not sure. I loved her though. Yeah, she, she was the one in the tiger outfit. She kind of looked like Princess Mononoke busting ass out there. She yeah. was great. And she was like 4'11", and it was like, she just likes monster movies. So that's where her character comes from is that she's just a big monster movie fan. And I love that they gave that color. I thought on the announcing in this one, and we're going to talk more about the announcing later, but I thought they did a really good job of letting you know who the people you didn't know were. Yes, absolutely. And that was just like, because I, I needed it, because I had never seen Nakajima wrestle. I, like I said, I knew B, uh, I've seen her wrestle. I knew her more as Will Ospreay's uh, girlfriend. Uh, I knew that's, that's why I knew her more. Like I said, I'd only seen her wrestle once, maybe twice, and I wasn't impressed. Yeah, but yeah, it, it was like it, it, you could have told me it was a completely different person and I would have believed it because it was just this air that she didn't have. And then, uh, of course, Britt Baker, she's, of course, the face of the women's division right now. And, uh, you know, she she had a couple missteps during the match. I mean, I don't think these four have worked together before. No, was, and that was apparent, I think, yeah. in the match was that there was some chemistry uh, and polish that wasn't there only because it felt like this was the first time that they had really worked together at all. Yes. Yeah, so uh, just for a little color for people that didn't catch this. The thing is Nakajima is a champion in uh, 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 Tokyo Joshi Pro. B Priestley is the champion in World of Stardom. And then Brit is Brit and Rio pretty much AEW now at this point because Rio was a free agent. The thing was, I don't think they meant for this to be a tag match. But 
you know, but when you talk about the politics of like Japanese wrestling, of course, Nakajima and Priestley, they didn't want either one of them looking stronger over the other because, you know, they compete against each other. You know, they, they're on rival companies in Japan. So it was like this was put together where they had to actually look strong. I don't, I might be completely wrong. I don't think this was the match that they wanted. Yeah, I'm not sure. All I know is that it was amazing to see them out there. And I think you're absolutely right in the sense that everybody had their presence completely defined in this match. So, you know, Britt is absolutely defined in her role as AEW's face. And I do want to take this moment um, to address Britt's situation because we've talked a little bit about how there were a few missteps. And, um, of course, there was that situation where she tagged the wrong person for the hot tag. At the beginning of the match when B and Britt were mixing it up, um, and I think this speaks to the chemistry that we were just talking about as well, that, you know, this is their first time, I think, meeting together. Um, I think Britt suffered a concussion of sorts um, when she got a stiff kick from B Priestley, and that threw her off. She did mention that on Twitter that ref Aubrey Edwards had been taking care of her and checking on her all night afterwards, even after the show was over, that she had still been checking on her all night. So um, I think that that was definitely a situation. And that also speaks to the differences that we're seeing with American style wrestling and Joshi style wrestling from Japan. Um, Japanese wrestling is a lot more stiff. It's a lot more aggressive. It's a lot more hard hitting. And I personally love that. I love seeing that. And I do know that we can have situations where those different styles can mix it up believably, effectively, and awesomely in the ring, but it does take um, the opportunity of having people mix it up and sort of practice together first and kind of work out what they're going to be doing together and, and take that time to really work through these moves and get to know each other's styles. And I think in that aspect, that is something that only time can benefit from, um, that as they work together and as time goes on, they'll get to be more familiar with the styles and movements of their opponents after working with them a few more times. And I think that that's something that we'll definitely see more of as this goes forward. But I think this match just suffered a little bit from the lack of that time. And uh, let me give you a little Floyd spin. You're in a wrestling ring and you're getting hit in the face and the head. Isn't it kind of <laughs> any kind of the realism that you could be, accidentally go to the wrong corner yeah that's true <laughs> i'm just saying i'm just that's saying I, i'm like i get i mean i come into uh, to a building i'm not familiar with i go into a room and come out did i come in right or left i get turned around that quick just imagine if you get slapped in the face before that happened <laughs> will you know where you're at i mean i know everyone knows about the performance level wrestling don't get me wrong but occasionally a mess up can make things look more real This is very, that's a very, very good point. I lose my keys all the time. I mean, like, am I going to run into a ring and remember which corner to go to? That's a very good point. Yes, I have literally been talking on my cell phone, looking for my cell phone. (laughs) Yes. So this this match, though, honestly, I just wanted to talk about that part because I know that we had people comment about it on our post and it's been on Twitter. But, dude... 
this match was awesome and I was here for it. I was oh, here for B Priestley. I was here for the rivalry that she's setting up with Britt Baker. I was here for these badass Japanese women running through the ring and just flipping over everything and being awesome. I loved this match. That leg that leg hook suplex that B Priestley does, I don't know exactly what the wrestling move is called, but I I, I want to see that every day for like ever. I just I just thought that suplex looked really cool and just that attitude when she like I think she like stomped one of the chicks maybe when she kicked uh when she kicked um that's shit uh Brit see I got confused that quick so <laughs> it happens when she kicked Brit I don't know it was just a very like impactful and I was like okay now and, and it's funny because they've done such a good job to me I know some people may disagree introducing their women stars. I don't know, like, they said they're going to start announcing information about the tournament that declared a women's champion. I, you know, generally you have an idea of who the champion's going to be. Like, we knew it was setting up for it to be Jericho and Hangman for the title. We kind of knew that was where they were going. Women's division, no clue. You got uh, Karashita, you got Rio, you got now, you uh, you got um, Britt, now you got B, uh, Suki uh, Nakazaki, uh, Yakazaki, whatever. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's okay. Uh, yeah, but yeah, you have a lot of talent that, and it's like, who's going to be the first champion? You have no idea. And that's, again, that's when I like my wrestling the best, when I don't know what's coming. That's a very, very good point. And we've got another contender, too, that we'll be talking about with her match um, in just a bit with, like, Allie. Allie, I guess she's going by Allie Elite. It's hard not to say Allie Impact, so it's Allie Elite. Um, you know, and she is also a firecracker in this division. So it's going to be really interesting to see what they set out for what the path is for that women's title. Absolutely. I'm very excited about the women's division. I mean, I, I definitely, because they bring in people from different countries and, you know, they have their standard people that are there. I think it does have a chance to be the best women's division in wrestling. Uh, it's, I don't know what they can do. Maybe bring in some of like when it's going to be people that are unfamiliar, maybe fly them in a couple of days early if it works with their schedule so they can get some ring work and, you know, you know, crisp it up a little bit. But it, I, like I said, I was very impressed. I, I, I was very impressed with what I saw. Oh man, me too. That was like a huge way to end their pre-show was to have that match happen. I absolutely loved it. I loved B Priestley. And also you mentioned Will Ospreay's girlfriend. So obviously that is a, a big thing. A lot of people know about her. I love that Will Ospreay's name did not come up on commentary. I love that because we got to see B Priestley kick ass and there was no mention about who her boyfriend was. I personally, just as a woman, loved that. It was great. Yeah, and they don't bring up Britt Baker being with Adam Cole at all. And that's good because they're great wrestlers on their own. Who they yeah. date has nothing to do with their in-ring ability. And uh, as far as me, I did like the fact that I was kind of following Will, and he was like, I'm so nervous right now. And I, I just, I just like, <laughs> I was like, Will Ospreay, for me, I know he said weird things in the past. He's one of the most endearing people that I want Agreed. to root for all the time. Me too. Because I think even when he says the stupid shit, it's generally coming from a good place. He just doesn't know how to communicate sometimes. 
Yes, and he's getting better at it. <laughs> yes. And owning up to it. But yeah, I totally agree. All right, let's talk about the next match. Now, this we're taking a break from the women's matches. We're out of the pre-show. We're into the show. We've got Sean Spears, perfect 10. Yeah. We've got MJF, Sammy Guevara, Joey Janela, Jimmy Havoc, and Darby Allen. This match was really, really cool just in listening to the crowd reaction. Darby Allen was so over with the crowd here after what happened, especially when he's up against Sean Spears, the guy who took the chair shot to Cody's head at the end of his match with Darby Allen. So Darby Allen never really got to have this finishing moment, never really felt like he got closure in this situation with Cody Rhodes. And here comes the guy who is the cause of that situation. And then with MJF, you have MJF trying to posture saying that, you know, he's Cody's best friend and he's going to take out Sean Spears because of what he did to Cody. And you have all of these people sort of posturing around the sympathy of Cody Rhodes and the animosity of Sean Spears. And you have the crowd just eating it up. You've got them booing MJF, but then like he does something bad to Sean Spears and you're like, should I cheer a little bit? No, still boo. <laughs> and you've got Sammy Guevara. Oh my God. Flying all over the place. Joey Janela fresh off the heels of his interaction with Enzo at the Blink-182 show, which they addressed on commentary, which I thought was hilarious. And you've got Jimmy Havoc in the middle of it. This show, this match was just a mix of characters and a mix of personalities and stories. And it was so tantalizing to see the reaction from the crowd with all of them and all of their background stories. Had I had no idea Enzo Mori was literal the literal scum of the earth. I thought that was <laughs> I think was that did Marvis say that? No, that was Excalibur. Okay. Sometimes I get, I mean, I, I sometimes I get them confused. I should probably know if it's something interesting. It was probably Excalibur. But, um, yes, I just, I, I, I laughed. I, I, I mean, I cracked up <laughs> at that part. Uh, the dynamics, people wondered how they were going to do this with MJF and Sean Spears on the same team. MJF is, like, seriously, other than Jericho, the most overheel in this company, I mean, Sean Spears might be a close third, but when he did the 10 and then gave him the middle finger, oh my God, dude, that was so heel. And I hate six-man tag matches. I, I, I don't know if I've said that on this show. I've said that on my other show. I hate six-man tag matches. I love the way AEW does six-man tag matches. Yeah, love it. And I want I wanted it to be clear. This is not a WWE thing. I don't like six-man tags in New Japan. I don't like six-man tags in ROH. I just don't like them. Never have. It's something I generally find either I very rarely pay attention or find something else to do during them. Just don't. They don't connect with me. It's too many people, too much things. Somehow, in their six-man tag team matches, they find a way to feature everyone. And yeah. I, I don't like Jimmy Havoc had his spot. People got to see the acid rainmaker. You got to see what makes Jimmy Havoc, Jimmy Havoc. He had his moment. Joey Janela, 
he's kind of a scene stealer. So you don't really need to focus on him. You just let Joey Janela be Joey Janela. And he had this point where he was on the bottom of the rope and he just said Cornette for no reason. I did not understand it. Why <laughs> he said Jim Cornette's name. <laughs> he said Jim Cornette and it just stuck out. And then Darby Allen just literally I don't need him to do the I don't need him to do the, the casket or the body bag flop or anything like that. His movement how he moves in the ring, in between those four ropes, is something that you don't see from everyone. I think the only person I can know that's as quick and move with the fluidity that he moves is Leo Rush. And for me, that's a huge compliment because Leo Rush is one of my favorite people to watch work. So he does his thing. So then you have Sammy Guevara flipping and jumping over everybody, just looking like, like, you like at this point in time when you see Sammy Guevara move, you like when are they announcing the junior title or the cruiserweight title? <laughs> yeah. Because it's he's just he he you have to stare at him. So everybody got their hope spot, and then Sean Spears, I mean, because of his physique and his literal size, because he's the WWE guy, he looks different than the other five guys, and he's wearing this shirt that says. You know, Cody's the EVP, and it's got the American Nightmare, and it's got chairman across it. Because if Cody's the EVP, he is now the chairman of AEW, <laughs> which, and it's just like, you, you, magnets, you gotta look at this guy. And he had his spot at the end. It was just, they do six man matches differently. And if you, I'm like, if you watch wrestling and you can't tell the difference, like, you could have, to me, put five, dark, unrecognizable figures out there and just how they work, you'd be like, that's an AEW six-man match. It was really, really great. And I totally agree that it was completely different because I'm in the middle of watching New Japan's G1. There's a lot of multi-man tag matches at the beginning of each of each New Japan show because they're building up to the next thing. Um, but to speak to AEW's use of six-man tag matches... This isn't a situation where you have two guys that are supposed to square it up and then two other guys that can find a way to interact with each other and have it be something meaningful. This is a situation where every single person has a moment to shine. It's like an exhibition of getting to know who these people are and it ends up all being meaningful because all of them look so good in various ways. I really loved this match and I loved the energy of it. And for me personally, I loved seeing all of the different people interact, but Sammy Guevara, man, I love flyers. I love cruiserweights. And for AEW's junior division, I love Sammy Guevara. That dude is awesome. Hey, absolutely. I, I, uh, I, Sammy Guevara is one of those guys that he don't have to say a word. He just he does it with what he does in the ring. And if 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 you didn't know his character, you'd swear he was the face. <laughs> how he was how he was flying around. You would swear he was the good guy. But yeah, and it was uh and in the conclusion of the match, Sean Spears with Darby Allen in the ring and he hits his uh Yushi Garoshi. I don't know what they're I don't I didn't hear what uh they were going to call it, and then he pins Darby Allen. And for people that's like, man, I like continuity and storylines, and I like long-term storytelling. Well, here's a story for you. 
Sean Spears pinned the guy Cody couldn't. Yes, exactly. You've mm. got so this is their third show, right? Yeah. And you have a situation where we all they're not even on TV. And you've got stories being built in the ring. And this was something I was really curious about how AEW is going to tell their stories because New Japan has in-ring storytelling and they execute that perfectly. WWE has character promo storytelling. They focus on that really well. And seeing what they're doing with AEW, kind of mixing both, doing the character stuff with being the elite in their road to shows and then doing a lot of this through in-ring storytelling, it was so exciting to have their third show lay out something as pointed as Sean Spears pinning Darby Allen. Not even just the guy that Cody couldn't, but also the guy who was angry at Sean Spears for interfering in this situation that he had with Cody Rhodes. Darby Allen has a legitimate gripe with Sean Spears, and to have that guy pin him was an insult that Darby Allen is not going to forget soon. Yes. Um, I, I another thing with Sean Spears, uh, and again, if they ever set up a Sean Spears Darby Allen one on one, that'll be made amazing. But uh, with another thing with Sean Spears, him coming from the WWE, he wasn't booked very well. Blah blah blah. He wasn't booked highly. Well, back in the day, TNA would do this. They would bring people like they brought Damian Sandow over, and they would immediately like kind of force him like, oh, I wasn't good in the WWE, and now. It, you know, now I'm here. And then they would kind of push him a little too hard, too quickly, and let people get c too comfortable with it. I mean, they're comfortable. Sean Spears comes over. He gets his big intro at the Battle Royal, right? Now, I feel like in Impact, he would have either been one of the last two people in the Battle Royal, right? Just I'm talking about 2007, 2008, not talking about the current group that's in there and i think what that did that that rubbed a lot of people the wrong way it's like this guy that was at the bottom of the roster is now a featured star in this company it made him look like the minor leagues the what i bring that up to say what they're doing differently with sean spears he comes in gets the battle royal gets thrown out pretty much immediately like you weren't that great there you kind of you know you're kind of on the same level here even had a lot of people comment on twitter oh sean spears is going to be a coach a job guy, that kind of thing. And then Cody says we brought him in, and he calls him a good hand. A throwaway sentence. No one that doesn't watch wrestling, like no hardcore, non-hardcore wrestling fan, knows that a good hand can be taken as an insult. I mean, it is. In wrestling, a good hand is kind of a slight. It's like a pat on the head. Oh, you're okay. You're never going to be a star. That's what a good hand means. So, to take that one throwaway sentence and make a whole feud out, <laughs> feud out of it to the point where Sean Spears hits Cody in the, with a chair. And now Cody is such a big star, him hitting him in the head with a chair made him pretty much a top heel in the company immediately. And then last night, they really focused on the fact that he is a threat. He comes out and he's like, he's not... He's not going away like I'm my own guy. He's leaning into the fact that I am going to use you and I'm going to step over your body to get to the top. I just love that storytelling. I love how AEW did that differently. Hopefully, I explained that well. No, you did that perfectly. That was great because I didn't know what the big deal about being a good hand was. 
because <laughs> you know I love wrestling, but I'm not necessarily super knowledgeable about like old school insider terms. And I don't know if this is an old school insider term. It is. It is. Feels okay. like it. Yes, it's a person that can wrestle well, but you're never going to push it to champion. You know how they made the uh, Daniel Bryan being a B plus player in the WWE? It, like that was a big. <laughs> yeah. That was a big gimmick. No, a good hand is like a C plus player. That means you're good in a good. You're like yeah. you're good in the work in the ring. I'm going to use you to get other people over, but I'm never. The focus is never going to be on you because you're not a star. And so now this is him proving himself that he is one. And how dare you? This is great. I, I'm literally going to hit you over the head with my talent. <laughs> Exactly. exactly. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. This was so great. And they executed that perfectly. They told the great story. And they did that in the midst with all of this other spotlight and high-flying action happening. A absolutely. And it was just like, it's very subtle storytelling. It's like, they, it is like the subtlety hammer or whatever that people talk about. This wasn't it. It's like, you kind of have to be a wrestling insider to get why Sean Spears is so pissed. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, you know, following the shows to figure out what the storyline and the connections are yeah. in between. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah. another way that they executed this perfectly was in the next match with Brandy Rhodes against Ali Elite. So you come out and you're like, okay, Brandy has been talking about the work that she's been putting in. We've seen clips of her where her ring work looks great. And then we get this really sympathetic storyline that we all can really relate to on a real level. And that's one of the best things about good wrestling storytelling is when they make it so that everyone can relate to it because everyone can relate to a moment where they were too afraid of their own success of failing and disappointing people. So then you sort of self-sabotage your success because you would rather be the person to do it instead of having everybody else disappointed in you. So this is this storyline that they are pushing with Brandy Rhodes coming out to fight Allie. This is supposed to be just a merit match, just a prove your worth, showcase the women's division, and let's see what Brandy can do. Let's see what Allie can do. Instead, we get an immediate callback to Double or Nothing, where we get awesome Kong coming out. And Allie is furious. And this was amazing because we did get to see Brandy's ring work. But we also got to see Allie really shine, which I thought was really important, especially after the match that she had with Leva Bates at Fighter Fest, which admittedly didn't go so well. And I know we talked about that on our Fighter Fest show. But having this match happen, you have Allie looking polished, looking professional. She looks right up there with Britt Baker as a face of the women's division to me. She is glaring at Awesome Kong. She's taking care of business with Brandy. She looks incredible, and we get Brandy Rhodes solidified as a heel in this company, which is important for two things. One, Brandy Rhodes is amazing as a heel. When Cody worked in New Japan and she would act as his second sort of manager at ringside, oh, they worked so well as heels in New Japan. So it was exciting to see that. But also, you've got the woman who is the executive vice president of the company leading and building the women's division. Having her be a heel in her own match is perfect. 
I loved this dynamic. I loved the setup. What were your thoughts on this match? It, it's I had two different things about Brandy. First of all, she came out with a very understated entrance, and I was like, "That's no, that's that's weird." And I even said it. I posted it. And I was like, I was starting to type out like that was a surprisingly understated entrance by Brandy, and then awesome Kong music hit, and I was like, "Oh, okay, I get it." They found a way. They found a way to basically do the same thing, you know, like two shows and get the same pop. Awesome Kong's entrance in Double or Nothing, amazing pop. Awesome Kong's entrance in this show, amazing <laughs> pop. The same thing happened in those two shows, and they got the same pop because they did it in such a unique way. I love the fact that Cody is really a face and Brandy's a heel. Again, uh, how they're booking the women's division, she's just not his second. She is her own person. Cody's like, oh, I'm not going to abuse my power as EVP. Randy's like, screw you, I am. <laughs> yep. <laughs> you know, she's her own woman. She can do her thing. And it's just like it adds to, adds to her character. And everyone always asks because, you know, Brandy's kind of like she's in. She's with Cody and he's in the elite. So she's kind of considered in the elite kind of thing. And everybody's like, well, they can't just have the elite all together. The elite it can't just be faces. No, Brandy's not. She's not a face. She has. A, she's about winning, and she doesn't care how she wins. And it literally, these are two separate characters. There is Brandy with Cody, and then there's Brandy by herself, and she has her own separate personality. And it's more of not her character. And it's the what I'm trying to say. It's just like the layers of a character. How you can be a good person in real life. It's be an asshole when you're competing. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, and that's what she is. She's like, I don't care how I win. I want to win when I compete. And this match, I can honestly say, I definitely saw improvement in Brandy. I don't think we saw another enough one-on-one -on -one to be like, okay, she's exponentially improved. But I did see enough of an improvement to tell she's been working really hard at what she's done. Oh, absolutely. And we definitely saw enough from Allie to be like, holy crap, she's going to be a star. Yes. Because that's what I saw in Allie. And I was certain that Allie was going to pull the victory here in this match until finally it felt like, and, and I also loved this too, it felt like Awesome Kong had to do something in order for Allie to lose this match. And also, can we talk about the facial expressions and the mannerisms of Awesome Kong in this match? Yes. Because every single time the camera cut to her, it was flawless. It was on point. She was angry. She looked like a monster, but not in a caricature way. She looked legitimately like she was going to eviscerate and like pull Allie from limb to limb. It was amazing. Yeah, so definitely. Uh, it's, it's funny because, you know, Brandy's kind of still green. But they took Allie, who's been doing this a long time, and put her around her. And they took Awesome Kong, who's been doing this forever, and put her, put her around her. And that just makes her look like such a bigger character. You know what I mean? It's just like, it, it's, it's done perfectly well. A lot of times you've seen this through wrestling history, where they will take people that are kind of, you know, green and put veterans around them. And, you know, the veterans bring them up to their level. And it was just like, 
I saw that in this match, and I was just like, okay, I see exactly why they did what they did, and it was perfect. The the bionic spear. I love how the uh, I love how the announcers got over the fact that she uh, has metal plate in her clavicle, so when she does the spear, it hurts more. It, yes. it it's a throwback to Lex Luger. He used to have the metal plate in his forearm, and they would put over that he could knock people out with the metal plate in his forearm. So it was just like, and the fact that they call it bionic. Of course, Dusty Rhodes has the bionic elbow. She is Brandy Rhodes. She's in the Rhodes family. It just brought everything together. That is fantastic, man. I loved Brandy in this match. I loved seeing um, the bits that she has improved in. Absolutely. But I also loved her character work. I love Brandy Rhodes and her master manipulation long con game that she plays is so good. And we got to see that. I also loved Allie coming out. She's just an amazing face of the company. She's incredibly talented. We've got Awesome Kong out there. Then we get at the end of the match, we've got everybody has just, you know, gone after Allie. And Brandy's got back up. Allie suddenly gets back up. And you know what's really weird? I knew as soon as, like, right before the music hit that they were going to have somebody with backup. This is going to be so out of left field, but I was like, is Rosemary going to be in AEW? No. Now? <laughs> and that is not out of left field because I had that tweet typed. Did you? <laughs> I was like, it's Rosemary. And I was just, I swear, it was, I swore it was going to be Rosemary. I said it out loud. And I was like, oh, it's going to be Rosemary. And then, I mean, Come on, Kong versus Kong. Dude, right? You've got Aja Kong and Awesome Kong facing off. And suddenly it's like, okay, these other women that are in there, like you're great and all, but I'm going to just watch this. And I know that's the point, so I don't feel bad saying that. This is awesome. Pun completely intended. This is freaking amazing. And I hope that they're building towards something at all out for this because we're going to be there. And if I get to see Awesome Kong and Aja Kong just like have this monster fest in the ring, it's going to be amazing. And I'm going to lose my mind. I mean, this is under, this is like Undertaker versus Andre the Giant. You know, this is the two pretty much monsters of the women division over the last, what, 20 years? I mean, Asha Khan's been doing this forever. I mean, this is a dream matchup, you know. Uh, before Kong got over in Impact, she was over in Japan, you know. Um, awesome Kong, excuse me. I can't just say Kong because they're both Kong. And then Asha Kong's a fucking legend. Excuse me, excuse the F-bomb. But she is a legend, and there's no other way you can say it. And she's... uh. She is amazing, and it's just going to be like, it's one of those things you look at it, too, and, you know, of course, I've heard, you know, on other podcasts about Aja Kong slowing down. The great thing is when she wrestles against her, they can just stand in the ring and beat the crap out of each other. This is a women's never open match if I've ever seen one, ever. And that's a uh, reference to New Japan if people didn't know what I was talking about. They're just going to beat the shit out of each other, and I love it. Dude, seriously, this is just going to be the <laughs> straight-up hoss fight. Yes, yes. <laughs> this is going to be awesome. Yes, when have you seen when in wrestling in America have you seen a woman versus woman hoss match? Dude, and a legit one, not like a, Dude. okay, this woman's a big woman, so she's the big monster person, yay. Like a legit 
brutal beat down where it's like, and I'm going to throw a new Japan reference out. Sorry. Where it's like watching Ishii and Jeff Cobb from the G1 that we just saw. Like this is that caliber. Yes. This is like, how are they going to be still standing? How are they going to survive? And this is amazing. I can't wait for this match. If anyone from AEW happens to listen to this show, I'm hoping they do. Do not add a third person to this match. Oh God, no! I, I know you're gonna. I know. It's, I know everything in you is like, man, we can throw Nyla Rose in this match, and we can use her to get over. I love Nyla Rose, and I want her in every match that she can be in. Not in this match. Not this one. <laughs> Just let it be Kong versus Kong. You can put it on a shirt. I'm buying that shirt immediately. You put that on pro wrestling tees right now. Kong versus Kong, and all all out. You take my money now. Just let it be one-on-one. Absolutely. This is going to be a thunderous battle. This is going to be a ground-shaking experience for everybody. Let it stand on its own for the momentous occasion that it is because everybody's here for it. Everyone's going to pop for both of them, and we're going to be just chanting, this is awesome, before the bell even rings. Oh, my God. Yeah. 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 I, I talk about my the, the moment of Tanahashi versus uh, Okada at the G1 in Dallas, how they hadn't even touched. <laughs> they were getting a standing ovation, and this is awesome. I imagine that happening, especially with the crowd that is at AEW events, the crowd that's going to be at All Out. They're going to get what this match is going to be. Absolutely. So at this point in Fight for the Fallen, we've got great energy. We've got AEW surprises. We've got great exhibition matches. We've got great women's matches. We've got great storytelling. Everything is awesome, and it still kicks off even more. This was an interesting one. I don't know how you felt. I guess let me let me. I'm getting too ahead of myself. All right. So the next match is Dark Order, and then we've got a boy and a boy and his dinosaur. And we've got Jack Evans and Angelico. Of course, the boy and the boy is Jungle Boy and Marco Stunt. So I don't know how you felt about Dark Order heading into this match. I know people are familiar with Super Smash Brothers. I was not. The only thing that I've seen from Dark Order so far is that they have been coming out at the end of tag matches to sort of interact with the best friends. And they've got these weird, slimy monsters that look like mutant, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles crawling out of a sewer after an experiment gone wrong. Like, I don't get the Dark Order. And so getting into this match, I was like, oh, okay, cool. And Helico and Jack Evans, awesome. A boy and his dinosaur, awesome. And those guys. But by the end of this match, oh my God, I hated the Dark Order. I loved to hate the Dark Order, and they set out to do exactly what they were supposed to do, which is get people to care about the Dark Order, to know who they were, to pay attention to who they were, because this match was awesome. What were your thoughts? I Yes, I thought the Dark Order, like, it's funny, this, this is the first show on there, I felt like the undercard actually outperformed the main events to a point. Because I just thought they hit the perfect notes on the undercard of this match, undercard of the show. And I thought the Dark Order looked as imposing and as devious as they were supposed to. And then you saw them wrestle, and man, they can move. Like, uh, I guess the one's Evil Uno. Man, he is like, seriously like Bam Bam Bigelow, because he is just gigantic, and he moves 
Not like he's gigantic. Un, uh, Jack, Jack Evans and Angelico playing the chicken shit type heels that don't want to get in the ring unless they got the advantage. I dug that. But the unattended consequence of this, and I don't think AEW had any idea. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe Matt Jackson and Nick Jackson and Cody were sitting there and they were like, you know who's going to really get over? Luchasaurus. <laughs> Dude, <laughs> though, man. Luchasaurus was still trending on Twitter. You've got Fight for the Fallen at number one, Evolve at number four. Luchasaurus is trending on Twitter in the midst of a Manhattan blackout, by the way, yes. at number six for an hour. Yes. That dude was over. Yes, it's like they got their playbook out, and he's like, we're getting Luchasaurus over. And it's just like, no, 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 no. And I was like, Luchasaurus, he's big. He looks different. I didn't know who he was. And I, I put the tweet out, and I don't know if you saw it. I said six months ago, I had no idea who Jungle Boy or Luchasaurus <laughs> was, or were. Now all I want is them on my TV. Luchas all the time. Yes, he all the time. Uh, actual Luchasaurus actually liked it. <laughs> he he actually liked the folks because it's so real though. He the energy, how he moves. Oh my God, he's freaking talented! And I know he was with the WWE and left. And I'm just like, how did they pass up on you? I mean, you know, <laughs> honestly though, like if we were to look at this six months ago, how did you pass up on a lucha guy who dresses like a dinosaur? Yeah. Gee, I don't know. <laughs> no, dude, you look at him now though, and you're just like, okay, I need this all the time. I need the boy in his dinosaur shirt. I need the Jungle Boy. Dude, and they've also been like best friends since Jungle Boy was 11 learning yes. how to wrestle. Absolutely. That's amazing. Yes, and it's funny. We have very reputable, very reputable uh, podcast sites. Voices of Wrestling is tweeting out in all caps, call the audible. And what what that means is they're like, dude, someone get a message down to it to put Luchasaurus over in this match. Have them win. And I like, honestly, I think they're more endearing because they didn't win. Yes. Yeah. I totally thought they were going to win on this match because you've got, you know, Marco Stunt is involved and Marco Stunt was involved in All In as well. And I'm not sure what his role is for AEW right now beyond, you know, a guy who sort of adds a little bit of fun to the matches. And if that's the role, great. I'm perfectly okay with that. I loved how they kicked him out of the match and he was like, okay, well, I will pick him up and throw him over the ring onto these guys down at the floor. That was really fun. But then at that point, we got to focus on Jungle Boy and Luchasaurus. And I'm like, okay, dude, this team is over as hell. They're totally going over in this match. They're totally going to win. Everyone's going to celebrate. And no, we get an amazing ending sequence that not only puts the Dark Order over as like characters that we hate, but man, technically that ending sequence was really good. They are really crisp. You can tell they've been doing this a long time. All I've heard is that the, all I've heard from anyone that knows anything about wrestling is these guys should be like 20 times more known that they are just because of how good they are and their combinations is what brought it. That ending combination with the basically the Gordy special into a flipping RKO I was like, yeah, no one should ever get up out of that move ever. If anyone ever kicks out of that move, I'm going to be pissed. And it was just, it was, they know what the hell they're doing. 
And, you know, again, all elite wrestling, they hired, they hired a elite tag team. It was just like, they're, they're the heel tag team. They're the, they're going to be the face of the heel division and they needed to win. You know, Luchasaurus and Jungle Boy, I mean, Jungle Boy's really, really young. Luchasaurus, I don't know how old he is, honestly. Uh, but they're kind of young, and they'll have their time. But right now, you need to get the established tag teams over, and that's what they did with the Dark Order. Absolutely, man. All right, so we've got, at this point in the show, just this crescendo of excitement and energy and crowd involvement and pacing and everything is amazing. And then we get to the next match. And this is Hangman Page versus Kip Sabian. Now, I'm going to, I know you and I both have things to say about this match. And what we say may be different from how our listeners thought of this match. So I'm going to go into this saying that maybe there were a lot of people out there who loved this match. This was the first time in the night where inexplicably I wasn't into it. And it's so weird because I love Kip Sabian. How can you not love this fresh-faced, handsome young man who's really talented and names all of his moves after Harry Potter? And I love Hangman Page, you've got a former math teacher turned wrestler who's absolutely looking like a star here. He's been looking like a star in New Japan before AEW was even a thing. So getting to see him rise to great heights in AEW is awesome. That said, this match sort of deflated the energy that we had had in the matches before. And I think that, oddly enough, my high point of this match was when we had that NXT guy in the front row who was yelling and screaming at Kip Sabian, and Kip Sabian brilliantly just goes, you know what, screw it, turns around and plants a kiss right on his lips. Like, that was hilarious, and that was, to me, the best part of this match. What, what did you think about this match? Because this is kind of tricky to just stand on and take a stand on and be like, it wasn't my favorite, I'm sorry. Uh, hindsight is twenty twenty. I want to be clear on that. But I want to say, if this was me at this point in the match, this is where the Jericho promo should have went. Because yes. it would have been a break. It would have brought the crowd down a little bit. Because I don't think anybody could have followed that match. The, the crowd, crowd was at such a fever pitch. From that triple threat match, and they were in the Luchasaurus, they were in the Jungle Boy, and that match was such a high that any match after that, there was no way the crowd was going to be able to keep up the energy. You know what? I think that's a really good point. Uh, we had a situation like that at the WWE Royal Rumble where uh, Becky Lynch had won the Rumble, and the crowd was so energized after that that when AJ Styles and Daniel Bryan had a match right afterwards, which on paper should have been an incredible match, the crowd was dead. So you know what? I think that's a very, very valid point here. Yes. So I, I, I think it was Hangman was in a bad spot. Se second thing is, second thing I want to say, Hangman is fighting Chris Jericho at All Out. They have given us that match already. Review. There's no way, no person I know, and I know a lot of people, 
pick Kip Sabian to win this match. Yep. So everyone knew Hangman was going to win, and they were just waiting on him to win. So, again, nothing wrong with predictability in wrestling, but you got two strikes against you already. First of all, you're coming after a really, really hot match. Second of all, everyone knows who's going to win. Kip Sabian cut an amazing promo earlier in the show, and it got my fire up, but I was like, you're still going to lose. And it was just like the predictability of it. So you're watching, and that first half of the match, the crowd was just not in it at all. They were quiet. I wouldn't say pin drop quiet, but they were definitely – they were definitely Baron Corbin quiet, <laughs> you know, during the match. Oh. They were quiet. Oh. <laughs> All right, go. <laughs> like, they did not care. <laughs> and then there was some spots in the match that kind of picked it up towards the end. But this was a lull in the show. Again, a good 15, 20-minute promo would have been perfect. The crowd could have went to the bathroom. They could have got rest. They could have did whatever they had to. They would have brought down, and then you could have brought them back up with the Hangman versus Kip Sabian fart. But I felt like I love Kip, love Kip, love Hangman. Everybody was going to know who was going to win the match again, and it just came after that exciting match. You know, it was actually a well-worked match. I actually had to watch it again later because I was so shocked by how much the fans weren't into it. So I literally watched it on mute so I wouldn't take that into account. And it was a really good match, actually. That's a good idea. I should do that because I had checked out, not even just because of the fans, but like I think you're right when you say it's the predictability because I made uh, I had some thoughts on it last night, which was that um, Hangman Page is great when he's facing someone like MJF or Jericho or Shima or Omega or, you know, somebody like that. Kip Sabian is great when he's facing somebody like um, Sammy Guevara or Darby Allen or Trent Bretter or Chucky e. T. And at first I was wondering if it was like a weight class thing, which is odd because usually I don't swing on dividing lines like that. I really like the blending of those two worlds. But I think where it hits is when you said it was predictable that the outcome and we're just waiting for that match to happen and waiting for the win to happen. I think you hit the nail on the head there because it, it had great spots. I mean, you've got hangman page doing shooting star presses that he's so good at doing. You've got Kip Sabian being thrown onto the ramp. You've got really compelling parts of the match, but it just wasn't hitting. I think that's a really good idea to go back and rewatch it on mute and just Give it a fresh shot because at that point in the match, we were so excited and it was kind of at a midpoint where maybe people were just kind of tired out. Yeah, I just, like I said, I just skipped to that match. I went to the point in that match. I didn't watch anything before. I actually didn't watch anything after because it it didn't, I love Hangman's matches and this match didn't hit with me so much that I felt like something, there had to be something. So I really tried to look at all the actual exterior uh, things that could have affected the match. And the match was really good. It was just no one cared. And when you're watching AEW right now, this doesn't happen in a lot of matches. There's always that crowd to build up any match. The crowd at AEW shows can take a good match and make it feel five stars. I mean, that's what they can. And it's just like... But just like you've seen in other companies, 
Yeah, the fans can make a great match look like it's complete shit. Yeah. And 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 I'm gonna say, in when I'm watching the show initially, I gave this match like a two and a half stars. And I'm not like I'm not like I say I don't really go through my star ratings, but I was just like in my head it was like man, I don't even think that was a three. But then Which is I, shocking because <laughs> it's Hangman Page. Yeah, but then I watched it later. <laughs> like I said, it was almost a four star match. It was a really good match. I mean, even came down to they teased a time limit draw and Hangman pins him with like 30 seconds left. That's that's good storytelling. But yeah, yeah, it didn't hit. It didn't hit live. I mean, that's just live watching it as it as it did not hit. It did nope. not. I, and no, no. And it's just like, but I, I, had, uh, I was like, I thought, like I said, they did a great job. It's just it didn't hit. Uh, I had a theory that I was gonna, I was telling you about it. It's just like, I don't know how long, the, I don't know how long they can keep him in the Hangman character. And the reason I say that is just, I'm listening to it, and you got Jr. Beautiful, beautiful Jr. with his amazing Oklahoma draw. You know, because I'm from Oklahoma, love our draw. And he kept saying Hangman, 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 and I was like, it's. It, it sounds a little racist. It just sounds a little bad. I don't know why. And this is coming from an African-American man that loves Adam Page. I just don't know how long this can. In 2019, if the mainstream character of Hangman can happen. That's an interesting concept. Because I know that you were talking about how you wanted to talk about the Hangman character. And I could I could see it from a different standpoint. But I've never considered it from... That angle, that's interesting. He's he's a white guy from West Virginia with a rope around his neck. I asked my fiance, who is not a big wrestling fan, and she says, I was offended the first time I saw it. And I, she's like, I didn't say anything to you <laughs> because I know how much you loved him and I know how much you love wrestling. I just don't think it'll work. And I think... When they go into TNT and they start getting people outside of the wrestling world and you have this featured white guy with a rope around his neck called Hangman, don't know if that's going to be a long-term thing that they can do. You know, I think that's that's an interesting that's an interesting take on it. I, I, I that... I, I'm not a sensitive person. I am the most inappropriate person you will ever meet. <laughs> I, 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 I always say I am, I, 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 you know, I try to be sensitive to everyone's cultures address people the way they want to but i am pretty much i call myself unwoke most of the time even though i love the woke company i am unwoke i i i'm like between me and my friends i make inappropriate jokes all the time i laugh but i am looking at a business aspect people outside of wrestling looking at and they have a guy dressed as a cowboy with a rope around his neck i mean when they say where he's from they say he's west virginia and he's named the Hangman. And then you have this dude with this pronounced Southern drawl saying, Hangman Page, Hangman Page, Hangman Page, over and over again. Like I said, it did, I mean, I've always been leery of it, but once I heard it last time, like the 17th time he said his name, I was like, no, this isn't going to work. Man, I've never considered that, but I could absolutely see that because they're, is a very tied in history of that 
with the connotation of that character. So even though I have a different but similar yeah. issue with the character of Hangman, I just don't think it works necessarily as well with him because he's, he looks like a face. He looks like, you know, the hero of a company and a Hangman like worked well with Bullet Club stuff when there's heels. Yeah, he's but, an executioner. He's not. But that's a different sort of context that I think is valid for people like that I, said, I never would have considered. I love him. It doesn't bother me. And that's I hope people understand what I'm saying. It doesn't bother me at all. But what I am thinking about is as a person that does an AEW podcast, that is the, one of the biggest AEW cheerleaders that you can have bringing my black friends into AEW and saying, root for this guy. Root for this hangman character from the South. Yeah. Yeah, I could I could see that. I never saw it before, but I could definitely see that. And like I said, and like I said, I'm like, I might be completely off. Someone might say I'm overly sensitive. But before you do that, talk to your black friends and ask them what they feel about this character. Because I talked to my fiance, who literally doesn't care. And she's like, yeah, I was offended. (laughs) (laughs) That's fair, though. I mean, again, there's there's a historical context. She's a white woman marrying a black man. She was offended. Well, it'll be interesting to see if they revamp his character because yeah, I think I don't... That there's a valid argument there. And I also think there's a valid argument of like having, you know, the face of your division be an executioner. Yes. And maybe it, he worked. And it's like you're supposed to be the evolution, the new update of wrestling. This is an 80s wrestling character if you've ever seen one. Fair enough, man. Yeah, I mean, I, I, and that's what I was like. This dude has everything. He has the look. He has talent. He's a very attractive person. I know people don't like to think that has anything to do with anything, but it does. He's a very attractive <laughs> person. He has a long hair. He's athletic. He does something, stuff that people his size shouldn't be able to do. Everything's there. But I think the character holds him back just a little bit. I think that's fair. I love his theme song. Uh-huh. Love it. I love the horses in the background. I love the cowboy thing. I love all of that. I don't know how they can rework that if they choose to into something else, if they find it necessary. I do think you make a valid argument there. And I, that's something I'd never considered. I also think, again, that there's the whole executioner thing was very much a Bullet Club thing. So yeah. it's, it's, and I always thought it was kind of odd in the Bullet Club too, because I'm like, dude, it's Hangman Page. Like, I root for you all the time. You're not the bad guy, but you've yeah. got the bad guy gimmick. <laughs> yes. And it's like, if they wanted to call him the cowboy, Adam Page, I'm, I would still 80s, but whatever. When they were going, they were leaning into he's an effing horse. Yes. I, 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 I would have been like the thoroughbred Adam Page. You you, you, could, you could go a lot of different ways. Yeah. Hangman and the rope aspect of his character has to go. All right, man. I totally, I'm, I'm with you on that. I just, totally, as I say, everybody yeah. understand I am a super positive person. It's just, like I said, hearing it over and over and over during the match. I was like, yep, this is not going to fly in 2019. And it's just like right now we're still in the AEW bubble where it's a bunch of AEW fans watching AEW and rooting for AEW and telling our friends AEW's amazing. But once it, when it gets out of that bubble, people are going to start calling that shit out. That's fair, man. If you're <laughs> going to be inclusive, you got to be thoughtful. Yeah. 
Yeah, fair enough, Ed. Well, we do, we should probably move on through the, what yes. happened afterwards, get to the rest of the show. But I definitely think that that's a really interesting and insightful way of looking at that. That's something I had never considered before. I think that, you know, if, if this is something that you're saying, especially as one of the most positive people on wrestling Twitter and in wrestling podcasts, I think there's something to that. And I'm pretty sure that you're not going to be alone in that thought. And I think yeah. that that's something that's going to raise some interesting conversations. I'm, so I'm never going to start a hashtag or make it a big deal. You know, people listen to the show, listen to it. And if it never goes past this and it sticks and he becomes the greatest name ever. And everybody's like, man, there's Stone Cold Steve Austin and there's Hangman Page. I'll say I'm wrong. I have no problem doing it. I just don't think he'll reach that next level until there's a slight adjustment of his character. That's certainly a, a good way of looking at it. And I love the thoroughbred thing. I love the cowboy thing. I love the horse thing. I love the sea biscuit thing. Yes. I mean, it's the, where you don't have to change his music or anything. You just lean a different way with it. Yeah. Well, hey, maybe Jericho will smack the rope right off of him and yes. he'll be done with it. Yes. <laughs> Speaking of Jericho, at the end of this match, let's dive right back into it. We've got Jericho coming in dressed as a creeper, which is also the weirdest thing. But, hey, it works for what they do, which is creep like they came out of a sewer. And, okay, he's dressed up as a creeper. He comes out and starts wailing on on Hangman Page and busts his eye open. Yes, and and apparently that was an accident. Yeah, <laughs> it looks like it. It did not look like a blading situation. That looked like dude straight up popped his eye open. He hard weighed him. Oh man, took a page out of Moxley's book. <laughs> that was nuts. So now you've got Hangman. You've got Hangman Page dripping with blood. You've got Chris Jericho who's triumphant and cackling, and you've got the setup for their match it all out. And I believe at this point they were supposed to have Chris Jericho cut that promo on page, but he didn't. So they had to do that later in the night. And of course we'll talk about that later, but I think this was the point where they were supposed to have that happen. Well, um, and, and you know, and I don't know what you thought about this after him leaving hangman laying and busted open. I think they could have just left it there. I don't think the promo was necessary. Yeah, I agree. If they did, he, like, he did what was needed. Yeah, he came out like, there and busted him. Yeah, if they like gave him a backstage segment, I mean, because you had that elastic image of him leaving Hangman bloody. So if they would have took this his promo and put it on backstage, almost like a New Japan style, and let Jericho just go yes. off and like I left you lying, I think that would have added to it. Yep. Because I, I, I even felt like the promo later in the show kind of fell flat. But we'll talk about that when we get there. Yeah, agreed. Absolutely. All right. So next match, we've got an upswing in energy again. I think at the end of the Paige Kip Sabia match, we started getting there. Jericho coming out, started bringing it back up again. Next, we've got Lucha Brothers and SCU with Frankie Kazarian and Scorpio Sky. Now, this match was awesome because... Already, we know we've got two stellar tag teams in the ring right now. Lucha Brothers come out looking like absolute stars. The crowd in unison is chanting along with them. Everyone's excited for SCU. I will take this moment again to say that 
the correlation of the Jacksonville Jaguars and AEW wrestling was a huge hit. My friend that I was talking about before had never seen SCU. She didn't know who they were. All of these people are new to her. She called them family after they devolved last night. And I think this was really great because the gimmick that SCU has where they address the town that they're in, it's kind of like that, uh, you know, hey, Brooklyn, how are you doing? And you get that sort of cheap applause. They take that to a really fun level by insulting the crowd, but in a fun way. And so people really just loved that. So the energy in this match was great. The Lucha Brothers, man. Oh, my God. Like, I will always root for SCU. In this match, the Lucha Brothers were absolute stars in my mind. And I cannot wait to see more of them. I just love them. What were your thoughts in this match? Okay, first of all, seriously, anytime I want to walk into a room, I want the Lucha Bros theme music playing. Right? Just, oh, my God. It's <laughs> it's just my favorite thing. I can't wait till I can download it, like a clean version. Oh, yeah, that's, that's, that's definitely going to be something people are going to hate because I'm going to play it all the time. But, yes, it just – when their music hits – very hip hop, very bass filled, and it just it tells you a star is coming through. And I th- they they come out, and you know they have their ring gear, and it's very much the gold and the silver, and and it's just like oh my god, these like Mexican or uh, Mexican or Latin or Aztec gods are coming through the ring. You're about to see something special. I just I just love their entrance, and then uh, the back and forth. Scorpio sign doing SCU and then Pentagon doing Sierra Meadow. And you're like, oh, so the crowd likes both of these guys. You know, I'm talking as a person that if you had never seen it before, like, so who do you root for? And they put on a brilliant face versus face match. Yes, they did. It was incredible. Yes. And it's just like, it shows you that you can just have four good wrestlers and they do good they just put on a good wrestling match and it was a this was my favorite match of the night i love tag team wrestling i love the lucha bros i just thought this was my favorite match of the night uh and then uh even when christopher daniels kind of interferes now i can say this they need to be they need to get a little more clear on the rules of their matches Right, because you had a situation in their previous tag match where the exact same thing happened, and it was fine. Because triple threat matches are usually no DQ. Because you really can't DQ someone in a triple threat match. Yeah. So, I get that. I got that one. This match, Christopher Daniels just attacks the Lucha Bros in front of the referee. (laughs) He's not in the match. How? What? You know what, though? I will say this put Aubrey over even more than she already was. And this became the point where I tweeted out that ref Aubrey Edwards is AEW's red shoes. And for anybody who watches New Japan, I do not take that statement lightly. Red shoes is basically like Earl Hebner in the caliber of referee class. Like it's he's incredible. She was incredible, too. And this moment solidified that for me that the referee has independent authority in the match she took christopher daniels i mean this dude is seu like this dude is a high up dude in this company and she just ejected him from the match ejected him from the arena or not the arena the ring 
And I thought that was great. This was a moment that really made it so that the rules, whatever they are, <laughs> do matter. And that yeah. the referee does have power. And I loved that for the referee's position in this match. They also have to get Jim Ross under control. Because when he doesn't understand something, he doesn't let it go. No, he doesn't. <laughs> I, I, I'm just saying, he doesn't let it go. And it's like it distracts from the match. Like, I told you, I don't really notice announcing that much. This actually distracted from the match. Yeah, there were a few points where the commentary distracted from the match. <laughs> yes, the show. but yes, this was like, oh, I don't know what the rules are. Shouldn't that be a DQ? Excalibur's like, oh, okay, it's up to the referee's discretion. She doesn't want it to be a DQ, blah, blah. JR doesn't let it go. And I'm like, dude. Oh, dude, no, Excalibur did the whole thing. He took it. He runs with it. That's where you let it go. You're like, okay, man, we're just going right. to take the ball and run. Yeah, go. but nope, Jim Ross is like, nope. Don't get it. I <laughs> <laughs> don't get it. <laughs> Whatever they're doing out there. <laughs> this is this is stupid. Yeah. <laughs> don't bury the match on commentary, Jim Brown. Yeah, yes. Back. Yes. I was like, oh, his cranky old man comes out sometimes. He has to get it's that bad. under control. <laughs> well, and that that I think is probably a good point to where, you know, we'll we'll talk more about this later. But when you have other people around Jim Ross that can take the lead and sort of guide the direction, then Jim Ross does really, really well. Excalibur's really great at that. Golden Boy was really great at that during Fighter Fest. We didn't have that this time. <laughs> I, I think, I think they have, and this is something I thought of last night. I think they told Alex Marvez, we want you to call this like a real sport. Right? And, like, call it like this is 100% everything in front of you is real. This is a sports presentation. Well, he does that. And he says some things that you're not, like, you traditionally aren't supposed to say in wrestling. And they shut him down quickly. They did. They did. Uh, and, you know, let's talk about this now. And, 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 it comes, <laughs> and it comes off as awkward. Like, and, and you know what? I am actually going to be quiet and let you take the lead on it because you and your husband, I, uh, Andy, I saw him tweeting, and I know you have your own thoughts on it, but it was very – you had it, uh, You had uh, thoughts on the uh, commentating, so I would like you to take the lead on this. I am going to be quiet and hear your thoughts. Oh, man. Okay, I'm going to preface this by saying that I'm sure Alex Marvez is great at what he does before he was on AEW commentary. I will also say I love how Alex Marvez contributes to the Road 2 promo packages um, for Road 2 Fighter Fest, for Road 2 Fight for the Fallen. He does a really great job of adding to that sports feel of the background in these matches. However, on commentary... Oh boy. Okay. Um, let's see, let me figure out a way to say this <laughs> in a really, really positive way. Um, he takes me out of the match a lot. He takes me out of the match by often bringing up things that are unrelated to the matches, um, things that don't have anything really to do with the match that's happening. So there's action happening. There are spots happening that are happening in the ring that should be talked about. And instead we're kind of, hearing him talk about 
what something somebody did in a different situation that tied along with the storyline maybe a little bit. It really just fell flat. And there were a lot of times where they he would say something and then you would hear either Excalibur or Jim Ross kind of scoff, laugh under their breath on air. And it feels like they just don't have a great chemistry. Alex Marvez feels like he's not the best person for this particular style of play-by-play -play or color commentary. If there are things that he can add to the depth and to the layers of these matches, I think that's really well suited for those row two packages. But man, they're... There's a situation where when you're looking at the commentary for Fighter Fest and you had Golden Boy and you had Excalibur and you had Jim Ross, that was flawless commentary. That was perfection. There was never a moment where commentary took me out of a match that was happening or whether I shouted the name of somebody on commentary and just going, stop. That This match at Fight for the Fallen had those moments and that was very unfortunate and I feel bad saying this because I'm sure that Alex Marvez loves what he does and wants to improve and I hope that if they are set on keeping Alex Marvez on commentary that they do work on that chemistry that they do set boundaries for what can be done with commentary as far as their interactions because I don't want to hear the people on commentary laughing or mocking each other because of what person what a person is saying when it's falling flat. Um, if they're going to be laughing at or mocking each other because of what they're saying in color commentary, that's one thing, but it feels like it's just not hitting. And Alex Marvis feels like a guy who just kind of is there. And it is very unfortunate. Yeah, I heard, I saw, read one of the shadiest comments, nice comments ever. Voices of Wrestling said, I'm sure Alex Marvez is a really good person. Yes. They, yes. they put that oh on Twitter. God. I should have just said that. And he's like, I'm sure. And I was like, wow, all the shade. I was like, that's the nicest way I've heard to shade somebody. It's like, you're a really good person. You're not good at this. And it's, no. it's, it's on the job training. That's the problem. He's training in front of hundreds of thousands, maybe millions of people. He's right. learning how to do this. And in the process of that training, He's representing what AEW is as a show to new fans and diehard fans and pulling us all out of it. And, and I hate that I'm saying that out loud right now. And I see what he's doing. He really is trying to let Excalibur and Jim Ross take the lead and just add points. But he's like that friend that you're having this intelligent conversation with and he just keeps making dumbass comments. <laughs> yes. And, and, it's, and it's like, you look at him and you're like, that has nothing to do with what we're talking about. And then you go back to your conversation and it's just like, but you're doing it in front of hundreds of thousands of people listening, finding out what your product is. Yes, exactly. And, 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 and honestly, my comment is based on, you know, like what other people are saying, but it's also taken into effect. Jim Ross is an ex. It is uncomfortable sometimes, the reactions to what Alex Marvez says. Yes. There was one point during the Young Bucks match, and I forget what he said and what the context was. I wish that I remembered. But he actually did add something valuable. And I was like, oh, yeah, you did it. <laughs> great. Mm -hmm. Awesome. That was great. I'm glad you said that. Um, but 
it, it's just really hard when you're listening to the commentary and there is awkward pacing between the people there. And it's clear that there's the one person there that's causing that. And it's really unfortunate. I know we were talking before the show. There's this uh, concept in improv acting called yes and, which is where you take something that somebody throws at you and you say yes, and then you continue it. And that happened very infrequently during this, and it was very obvious that the chemistry between the three commentators just wasn't quite hitting. And honestly, I would much rather have just Excalibur and Jim Ross if that's going if they don't have somebody else in there. Because I do think that Alex Marvez has a great role in supplementing these road two packages. He's phenomenal with that. If they had him taping pieces uh, before the show, these little vignettes that were peppered in between matches during the show, that would be a great use for them. It's just not hitting on commentary and having this learning as you go training, bringing people out of the matches as it's happening. is just, it's just hard to listen to sometimes. Yes. In a three man booth, it generally has to be one guy that's running the show and two people that are adding color. That's generally how it works. That's what I've seen in the past. And again, if you're going to try to go away from that, that's great. But at different points in times, Excalibur and Jim Ross are running the show. And then Alex Marvez is adding color. Well, the color guy is supposed to be the head of the person that has experience in the industry. He's adding the wrong color. Yeah. And it's just like a color guy on on football is usually a former football player. Like when you're watching WWE, I'm going to use this as an example, you'll have like Vic Joseph. He's a clear announcer. That's what his training is to do. Then you have Corey Graves, who was a wrestler, and now he's adding color. He's telling you why everyone's doing everything. Then you have Renee Young in this case. She, in the wrestling world, she adds like zangy, zany little thoughts. She plays the face for a lot of times to Corey's heel. But everyone has a defined role. In AEW, the three don't have a defined roles. And I, that's something they need to work on. You know, if they have Alex Marvez brought in as their sports guy, he's supposed to be their sports commentator, right? Yeah. If that's the case they should absolutely create a role that's specifically defined for that. Like you could have um, Excalibur and Jim Ross and whoever else doing commentary during the matches. And you have Alex Marvez be the guy that tells us what the standings are, how it matters. If wins and losses matter, what are the standings? Have him read us basically like a stats card yes, on air. The stat guy. That's, yeah. his, that's his thing. And he says, I, actually, and you know what's crazy? I like Alex Marvez's voice. It's a very refined, professional voice. Uh-huh. I just don't like everything that comes out of it. So, right. so if we have a defined role, role for, him. for him, and then, okay, as you get more comfortable, then you may add start adding a little color. As yeah. you learn what's acceptable and kind of not acceptable to say on commentary. Like it is, somebody said, Alex Marvez is creating his own storylines, which I have no problem with that. And like, mm-hmm. dude, because you know what? He was, he's thinking like a fan. Yeah. A lot of things that he says are like what people are saying on Twitter. And honestly, if Excalibur's like, okay, I could see that, but we'll see where it goes. Or Jim Ross says that, but Jim Ross is like, like I say, he's the opposite. Of, <laughs> he's just like, no. He's the opposite. <laughs> he is he, opposite of improv. He's like, no, you're stupid. <laughs> 
And he says it without saying it. <laughs> it is like uh, the reaction and everything. So, I, I, you know, for that, like I said, I, I am one of those people that I've seen on the job training. So I understand the bumpy roads. I could not imagine doing it in front of the audience that he does, no it, especially the rabid fan base that he has to deal with right now. No, and I should also say that, you know, when we give commentary on commentary, yeah. <laughs> that's very easy for us to do in the position that we are in, where we're just talking to each other about a show that we've already seen. It would be very difficult for me personally to call commentary live at an announcer's desk. So saying that, I, I think that there's room for understanding just how difficult and challenging and nuanced that job is. But I think with Alex Marvis, he does have a pleasant voice. I think if they use him as a stat guy yeah. primarily and have him listen more and deliver specific stats and figures and then be able to add things in as he learns and as they go, I think that would be a much better placement for him because just right now it's not hitting it. And I feel really bad watching the reactions and even contributing to them myself because you just can't help it. Yeah. As I say, we're, I always say we're a fan podcast. And what that means is I'm just telling you what I want to hear. I'm just telling you what I think our friends want to hear. You know, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe the way he does it is great. Maybe it sounding awkward and uncomfortable is what they're doing on purpose. I don't know. But I'm telling you, a large contingency of fans find it very awkward and uncomfortable. So yes. it's not like, this is not like me just saying, oh, I found that awkward and uncomfortable. Actually, it's me listening to people I respect. You know me. I love your husband. I respect pretty much everything he says on Twitter. He's the one that made me start paying attention. Like, <laughs> oh, shit, this is weird. <laughs> so I respect his opinion as a wrestling fan. And it's just, yeah, it was bad. To, you know, it was bad to the majority of the audience. Yeah, and, you know, I think that when you're watching a show, it, it's kind of like when we went to Double or Nothing and we see Double or Nothing and we're like, oh my God, everything is amazing. And then you come back and you hear some of the comments on Twitter about the commentary and you're like, wait, what? Like, that doesn't match what we felt. Like, people obviously had a very good reaction to Double or Nothing overall, but the commentary for the same reasons was part of the issue. And I think that when you are watching a show as a diehard fan and as a new fan, and you are listening to it, the commentary is a lot of what brings that visual package together for somebody watching it on stream. And that representation of the show can either have a very positive impact on the show, or it can take you out of it and start chipping away and enter in kind of a negative impact territory. And I think that was the situation here. I think it is fixable. I don't think it's necessarily something where we need to oust Alex Marvez or anything like that, but I do think that they need to find a defined role for him to exist in because I think that will be more comfortable for him, and I think it'll be more comfortable for us too. I wonder, do they? Uh, I wonder, do, does he have the producer in his ear giving him notes? Because if he doesn't, he should. Yes. <laughs> Get 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 an earpiece, please. <laughs> yes, I'm like I don't know. I mean, a lot of you know, a lot of some companies like Kevin Kelly will say I don't have anyone in my ear. I kind of just do my thing, and he's very good at his thing. Some people need a little more direction, especially when you're not coming from a experienced time in this industry. That's yeah. all. That I mean, and like I said, 
I don't have like Alex Marvez is perfectly fine. I hope to meet him one day, shake his hand because he has taken on something a lot of people uh, wouldn't. I remember I heard a rumor a long time ago that WWE offered Mike Goldberg, you know, from a UFC, a shit ton of money to come there. And he's like, no, you know, that's not my world. That was the rumor I heard that, that that's not his world. He's going to stay in UFC. And I was like, you know, that makes sense because wrestling has a weird story. What works traditions, history, and their fans are so rabid and at times unforgiving. Yeah, I mean, I think we can find a spot to forgive him. Yeah, no, no, and like I said, I can. I know he's, I know, like, what, he didn't even call Fighter Fest, right? Yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, seriously, this is his third, second live show? Yeah, I can forgive a lot. I can forgive a lot. I am a very forgiving person, so I can forgive a crap ton as he's getting used to doing it. But once he gets to TV... That's again, that's 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 what we're focusing on is TV and you're getting this large audience outside of the hardcore AEW fans. You want the product represented well. That's it. That's where it comes from. It comes from a place of I want AEW to be gigantic and I'm looking at ways that could prevent them from becoming gigantic. Absolutely. Well, let's head on down to the rest of this card. We've got a couple matches left. I think that the commentary issue is something a lot of people were thinking about, and hopefully they're able to resolve it, figure out some tweaks to make it work. Um, we did, but, you know, we'll see. The Lucha Bros won their match yep. uh, with their uh, finisher, and they brought out a ladder and hit, I think, Christopher Daniels with it, right? Yes. Yes, and then they got on top. And in uh, Spanish, they challenged the Young Bucks, to a ladder match at All Out. Give it to me. Yes, and someone asked, <laughs> someone asked, what can be on top? He's like, what's going to be on top of the ladder? I'm like, of course, on a contract, a first-round buy in the tournament. Duh. <laughs> that just seemed obvious to me. That's all yeah, we've been talking I mean, about is first-round buys. You win a ladder match, you get a first-round buy. Maybe. I looked at CBS today to get an overview of what is known for All Out so far, and they have All Out listing a AAA championship match. Yeah, okay, so the AAA titles could be up there. I'd rather it not be for the AAA titles, personally. Sure. I'd rather AAA, or maybe it be for the AAA titles and a first-round buy. I think go. I think it should be, I think they should be getting away from the AAA titles and st- Start getting closer to focusing on who's going to be the first AEW champions. Agreed. And I think that you would be very smart to have a first round buy in that situation, especially because this will be the third time that they have met for a title situation or for a proving ground situation. That said, dude, Young Bucks, Lucha Brothers, ladder match, give it to me right now. Shut up and take my money. I will be going to all out. I yeah. want to see this match right now. Uh, uh, event shirt, Bucks on one side, Pentagon on the other side, big ass ladder in the middle. Hell Take yeah. my money. I need that shirt. Absolutely, man. All right. So next match. This was my match of the night. Kenny Omega and Shima. Okay, so going into this match, we've got Kenny Omega. This is his first big singles match since Jericho. 
And this is against somebody like Shima. Now, Jericho and Kenny Omega, we talked about this before after Double or Nothing. That's a very different Kenny Omega than what we saw, for instance, at Fighter Fest with the Young Bucks, where he's teaming and like everything is great. This is the Kenny Omega that I love to watch. This is the explosive energy Kenny Omega. This is crazy-eyed, desperate Kenny Omega. This is persevering against all kinds of brutality, lasting with endurance for what, 20, 30 minutes, Kenny Omega? This is Kenny Omega gets hurt, and then that's where he finds his reserves of energy and just explodes all over the ring. This match was amazing. The Meteoras from Shima. Dude, seriously thought that Kenny Omega's head was going to get taken clean off during this match. The V-Triggers from Kenny Omega. The One-Winged Angel from Kenny Omega. This match was so good. This is my match of the night. This may be my match of AEW so far. I'd have to go back and categorize them again. But man, Kenny Omega is one of the best wrestlers in the world. They do not call him best bout machine for nothing. This match was awesome. Yes. What were your thoughts? <laughs> I uh, completely agree uh, with everything you said. It was not my favorite match, but I enjoyed it. I I have been uh, clear uh, that... The one of the things I'm looking at AEW is like you see who their top tier talent is, right? And what you're looking for is that B level talent. And I'd say like you know the people that aren't going to be in the championship picture, but are always going to be kind of still featured on the card. I actually put Cody kind of at the top of that list, right? And I was like, but who else is there? This solidified Chima is on that level. Like, Shima could then, he could go in a match against Hangman, Hangman Page, and I think he could win. You know, I he you could put him up against any of the top guys, and he's going to put on a great match. He is someone that you can feature in a singles match when you have champ, chance. It was like, for people unfamiliar with Shima, you saw Shima can go, and the dude is 40. And dude, yeah. I, I would, dude, I would have said 32. The dude was amazing last night. No, I fully agree. Shima is one of those uh, sort of checkpoints that you have to pass to really prove that you are champion quality, champion caliber performer in a wrestling company. This dude is going to be like Ishii in New Japan, where you have to get through this guy to prove your medal. And this was an amazing match. I cannot wait to see Shima against Jericho, Shima against... Um, Hang against Hangman Page, Shima against Kenny Omega again. Give it to me. Like, I want to see Shima in every match. And basically, anytime Shima is going to be in a match, you know that this is going to be an incredible match. When you put Kenny Omega against someone like Shima, that is just explosive quality everywhere. This was so good. This was a fantastic match. Yeah, and that meteora that he does and the different ways that he gets into it is amazing. He's so fluid. It's like people that are so good at their job, they don't look like they're trying. That's Shima <laughs> a lot of times. He's yep. so good. He's always in the right position. You know, he's like you get a lot of times where you'll see a wrestler have to scoot over to get in the right position for the next spot. That doesn't happen with Shima. He just gets it. Yeah, no, and this was one of those matches, again, where it brings up the energy of the crowd because you're just, like, on your feet and at the edge of your seat, and you're just, like, freaking out by the time this match ends. So crowd is, again, we've got a great peak. 
We've got Kenny Omega hitting the one-winged angel on Shima after brutalized attack of Meteora, 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 like over and over again. This is insane. And then we get Jericho coming out again, and he hits his promo. And I think, you know, we already talked about this a little bit before, uh, how it kind of fell a little flat. I think for me it was a little confusing because I'm so used to Kenny Omega coming out after, or sorry, Chris Jericho coming out after Kenny Omega matches in Jericho Omega feuds. So I was like, wait, why is Jericho coming out? Oh, okay, sure, that's normal, because it is. But then it was like, oh, okay, Hangman Page. So he's cutting a promo on Hangman Page. He calls Jacksonville Jerksonville. He calls them Jackoffville. <laughs> and Jacksonville fans are like, yeah, that's appropriate. All right, I'll give it to you. And then he cuts a, a promo on Hangman Page for All Out. This is always going to be a problem because, when you again, when you get the hardcore AEW fan base, we, we try to give them the reaction that they want. Like, we would have been booing Jericho because we know they want to boo Jericho. But Jericho, in this case, he was saying a whole bunch of shitty stuff, but people still kind of wanted to cheer him. So it was this awkward silence. Like, say the good thing so I can cheer you. It's <laughs> like, there is no good thing. He's, he's, he's not the good guy. He's the heel. So it was very funny. Uh, like, like I said, it was just like, Jericho's a master class in promos, but right now he's not playing a guy. The character he's playing is not the list Jericho. He's not the snarky Jericho. He's the aggressive, kind of crazy Jericho. And I don't think that promo's really in his wheelhouse right now. I'm not saying he can't get more comfortable, but he's closer to playing a Terry Funk and a Roddy Piper character, which is more of a crazy type of character. And I don't think this promo came off as disjointed and crazy as we wanted it to. And and also not as disjointed and crazy as he does. Because yes. when he's in New Japan and he comes out, he cuts promos on Omega or cuts promos on Naito or cuts promos on Okada. Dude is on fire. He is an expert at this. But I think the disjointedness in this case was because... He was supposed to cut this promo at the end of the Page Sabian match. And I think you are absolutely right in that actions of him leaving a bloodied page in the background as he walked off spoke far louder than the words of him saying Jackoffville and Jerksonville. But that being said, they had to cut the promo anyway. So I think that that's where it felt disjointed. But it did do the job of building the hype for the match at All Out. And I want to see Page go kick his ass. Yeah, and it felt like he went a little long because yeah. you would have heard it. You, you found out some timing issues later on. So he came out the wrong time. Then he went a little long. Of course, it's Chris Jericho. You kind of let him do his thing. But it was just like it's one of those things where you say, uh, you know, like people like in WWE, they say give a six-minute promo. Now you kind of see why that happens, you know. To a point. And I think they'll have it under control and it'll be timed a little better next time. But like I said, grow, uh, someone put it growing pains. There's a few growing pains. And again, yeah. this is the third show of the company. Yep. There you go. I mean, shit, shit happens. And yeah, I like it. I feel like I'm growing with the company. Absolutely. And again, when you're looking at a company and the detractions are, Okay, well, Chris Jericho came out at an, at an awkward time. 
or okay, well, you know, this match may have gone just a little bit longer in an already stacked card. Like that's not a bad thing <laughs> to be like, Oh, well, okay. It was Chris Jericho. Well, okay. It was freaking Chris Jericho. You know what I mean? Like it's not the worst thing in the world, but yeah, this was definitely an awkward time, but they had to get it done and you could tell this had to be put in there. Um, but that also then gave us a little bit of a break from Kenny and Shima to the main event, which were, you know, two completely different stories, two completely different match styles. And I will say that having that sort of break in between may have primed everybody for the main event, which was really an old school versus new school tag team match. Yes, we had the story of brothers. Yes, we had the story of friends, but we had a story of old school versus new school. We had a story of people who have been discounted, people who have been discarded, people who have been underestimated at every turn of their careers over the last five years, be out in the ring with one of the best tag teams in the world legitimately proving their worth. And this was a great match and a great story with those dynamics set up. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I, I like how it started off the Young Bucks style. And they they were like clearly faster, you know, than uh, Cody and Dustin. Then Cody and Dustin like slowed the match down and started working a limb. Uh, I just thought that was really well done. Uh, I can say again, being one, you know, you got to be hundred. This match kind of drug at the end. Yeah, I felt like it should have been about five, maybe ten minutes shorter. Yeah, agreed. I think that the Page and Sabian match could have gone shorter, and this match could have gone shorter, but I think part of it was just that the show itself was feeling kind of long at this point, yeah. both for us as viewers and for the crowd, and it also didn't really help that commentary was like, all right, we've got an hour for this match, and we're like, oh, God, what? Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I want to give 100% kudos to Dustin Rhodes. I will drone on this forever. You're not supposed to be able to do what he does at 50. Dude, that guy is a and master. It, and it's just, he hung. He not only hung, he thrived in this match. And he, like, he power slammed their soul. He got that part. And and I just thought, I thought Cody performed well. And I loved how they did it where a lot of times where Cody and Dustin were going for moves and the Young Bucks knew it was coming and vice versa. And the Young Bucks in the end were just better. And that's how it should be. The Young Bucks are the best tag team in the world. They are one of your featured tag teams in this company. Cody and Dustin shouldn't beat them. So I thought Dude, that. I, was, absolutely. Yeah. I will say, though, this was Cody. My personal, for me personally, this was Cody's best match that I've seen him in wrestling, like okay. technically. It was amazing watching him fly all over the place. He did moves I've never seen him do. It was great watching him in this ring. Dustin, oh my God, his character work, his storytelling. That guy is a master of in-ring storytelling. I used to think Kenny Omega was a master of storytelling, and I do still think that. But Dustin Rhodes is on a heartstring level of in-ring storytelling. Yes, abs absolutely. I, I mean... I know he wants to retire soon, and I think everyone should do what they want as far as their career. But good Lord, I think he could just be such a positive addition to this company for as long as he wants to be. 
Mm-hmm. And, and like if they had another show between now and All Out, you could have Sean Spears versus Dustin Rhodes. Oh. And that would have been a great, you know, great match to lead into the Cody Dustin thing. But it's just like I said, it's just one of those things. You're like, he's still valuable, especially in this company. Uh, one thing I did mention, I was like, so when Cody's Dustin came out by himself and he comes out red and black in the paint. I just swore. I swore Cody was going to come out with his other half of his face painted. Oh. And that was just like, again, it was just my little storytelling, my little story I invented in his head. But there's a brotherhood, and I just thought, Dustin has his face painted. Cody's half of his face painted. Let's go. Now, again, Cody produces the show and is in gorilla most of the night so i don't know how feasible <laughs> that would have been uh, with the half the paint on his face for the whole night so it probably just wasn't feasible but i just like that image if that came out that way that image would have been great but everything else was good uh cody's cody's like couple last couple interests kind of been like understated and it's very i'm used to the big cody entrances so it was just like I thought he was just gonna do that, you know, that little thing there, just to be like, "Hey, we're together on this." But the match was good. They had the dueling power slams. They had the points where the Bucks stole their move, where they hit the ground and punched them in the face, and then they tried to do crossroads on them. Uh, there was just like so many memorable spots. Again, as a person that is a connoisseur of fine tag team wrestling, this was it. But again, it was like the third tag team match on the show. And it was just like, I think at that point, I wouldn't say I was, I was kind of done. I was kind of ready for the show to be over. I will say I should go back and rewatch it though, because that match, I knew that I was just kind of fatigued, but was a really good match. Like it had all the points. It had the spots. It had the storytelling. It had the emotions. It had the fun impact. It had the the proving ground battle. Like it was so good. Um, once but, we got to the end of it, <laughs> then it became very apparent that they were running out of time, because you had Dustin go. Uh, I believe it was Matt go to pick up Cody, right? Yeah. Yeah, and then Dustin moves him out of the way. Like, nah, man, this isn't cool. And then Matt's like, all right, well, you know, he, he's basically out trying to let people know that. Hey, what we said and what we did was just for this, you know, just for this match. It wasn't real. And so you have this moment where they were supposed to like maybe interact in a way where Dustin's like, okay, I understand and that's fine, but that went too far. Or maybe they have a hug or whatever the situation is, but it gets cut out. And now the locker room's coming out. (laughs) You're just like, what is going on? Oh, it's check time. And then commentary keeps saying, and, and, uh, Cody keeps saying, you know, I'm not sure if we're even on the air at this point. This was one of those situations where I'm looking at the clock and I'm like, we've got like 15 minutes left. What are you talking about? We're not on the air. Like, of course you're still on the air, <laughs> but they do their check. And at this point we got to say like, just, you know, let that kind of technical difficulty just sit in the background for a second because all elite wrestling with fight for the fallen donated a hundred and fifty thousand dollars to charity for victims of gun violence that is incredible that is really something that we should be proud of every single ticket that was bought for that show and if i'm not mistaken i believe the money or proceeds parts of the money that was spent 
for buying the show internationally was all going towards a good cause, going towards victims of gun violence yeah. in Florida. That's that's wonderful. And they had meet and greets after the show, and a hundred percent of those proceeds went to uh, the victims of gun violence in Florida. I just, yeah, it was like it was everything Tony Khan said he wanted to do. It was every, it was a part of their mission statement to help the community, and it did everything it was supposed to do. And like I'll tell you, it didn't feel like a free show. You know what I mean? Sometimes on these shows where they're charitable shows, you might not get the performance or whatever. But no, they went out and they they gave you everything they had, and they put on a really really solid show, and it helped a lot of people. You can't ask for more than that. Absolutely, man. So yeah, we've got a great solid show. We had a lot of action in the show. We had a lot of movement in AEW as a company with their storylines, but really what matters the most here is that they set out to deliver something positive for their community that they were affected by and they delivered. They delivered $150,000 or more if we're going by meet and greet costs too to this charity, to this endeavor. And they made a statement that All Elite Wrestling cares about their community. They care about their fans. They care about people. And I think that's a really important message to end on. Yep, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, and I uh, love how Kenny changed up his uh, catchphrase to boing. <laughs> Me too. Me too. People, it's funny that had a mixed reaction on Twitter. And I was like, what else are they going to do? You can't say goodbye and good night. Bang. With, with a, a gun. gun yeah. When you're delivering money to a charity for victims of gun violence. So, you know, dude had just wrestled a match. He had just wrestled a Kenny match and he improvised that off the cup, man. Good yeah. for you. That was great. I was going to tell Cody, he needs to come up with something to say at the end of the night. Yeah, <laughs> because because yeah, because he got us fired up with the whole you can't counter program us. And if he had some kind of cool catchphrase to end the show, that would have been great. Yeah. You know what, though? I will say this about uh, Cody's um, final words, his parting words there. When he started saying you can't counter program us, I was like, oh, man, not again. Little bit. Not a lot, but a little bit. But then dude lights into screaming and yelling and hyping up the fact that we're on a revolution. And are you coming with us when we go to TNT in October? Are you with us? And like, dude, this dude has everybody in the palm of his hand. I don't care what he says at the very beginning of this or what people are thinking about the WWE comparisons or whatever. The second he starts laying into this fever pitch, it's like, I am on this hype train, all aboard, shut up and take my money. Let's go. I'm in on this revolution. That was I, amazing. I know he doesn't want to push himself as the top guy. I know that's, you know, you know, mistakes that have been made in the past. I, I just have this, really just kind of feeling everything that pops in my head that that main event at all out should be Cody versus Jericho. Oh yeah. At some point we got to get a Cody versus Jericho match. I mean, it's just like, he's the most over person in a company. I mean, again, Kenny Omega is amazing. He is the best wrestler in the world. I have no problem saying that, but right now the energy that Cody drags out of those fans he knows the right notes to play to the AEW crowd. Absolutely. And honestly, like 
we want to be a part of something new. We want to be a part of something fresh. And if you're going to talk about AEW as a revolution, man, please keep bringing it because that guy is absolute fire. He's the general, man. He's the general of this revolution. And it's just, it's crazy. And it's, it's, you know, me as a Cody fan watching him being kind to the face. And it's just like, this is awesome because, you know, no one, no one, in the industry thought he could be this probably his dad and his brother that's about it yeah absolutely <laughs> I mean, maybe brandy i mean brandy of course I, I i'm trying not to forget her but i'm just saying the people closest to him are probably the only ones that saw this in him yeah you know he is a surprise a constant surprise yes. when i first saw him with new japan i was like oh that's that stardust dude okay yeah and then i see his character work and i'm like whoa hold on a second yeah. like Cody Rhodes is a big part. Like Kenny Omega got me into it with wrestling. Cody Rhodes got me into it with character. And that is, it's, it's a great thing seeing this sort of culmination of all of the pieces of what motivates and drives Cody Rhodes. And then seeing him come out there and kill it like this. It's just amazing. Yep. Yeah. I have to, I've had to live through people calling him the three-star special. And I, I don't like it, but I just like I always said, he brings something different other than wrestling. Even though he's a good wrestler, he brings something different. And I'm glad everyone's starting to see that now. Absolutely. All right. So let's go ahead. We've got a little bit of time left. Let's look at what we've got for All Out. So far, we've got an AEW World Championship match with Chris Jericho versus Adam the Hangman Page. We've got Kenny Omega versus John Moxley. We've got a AAA Tag Team Championship match with the Lucha Brothers versus the Young Bucks in a ladder match at All Out. And we've got the Best Friends versus the Dark Order. The winner gets a bye in the Tag Team Championship Tournament. It looks like we've also got a match with Awesome and Aja Kong. I don't know if this is going to be a singles match. I sure hope it is. Or if it's going to be a match with Brandy and Awesome Kong versus Ali and Aja Kong, whatever the situation is, that match is going to be awesome. I hope it's just the two Kongs because that's going to be great. We've got a couple of questions from our listeners. So I'm going to throw these at you, Floyd. We've got at Sentinel2478 asks, where do you think the Brandy angle is headed? Cody seems to be kind of a tweener in his role, but Brandy just went straight heel at Fight for the Fallen. And oh my gosh, the Kong face-off. Yes, absolutely, totally agree. Where do you think this Brandy angle is headed, Floyd? I think it's headed to her being the featured heel in the company uh, as far as the she's going to be the heel authority figure. And she's going to be who the uh, someone's eventually going to have to overcome. I wouldn't say in the finals, maybe in the semifinals to get to the finals to be the uh, champion of the women's division. So, of course, I think the alley thing will continue. Uh, the alley thing will continue. Uh, uh, and I think it will continue in the tournament. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I, I, I think she's going to be a featured part. She'll never be champion. But I think she'll kind of play the Cody role for women. I agree. I see her as kind of uh, playing a Gato style character where she is the person, you know, who is booking the women's division. She books the matches, but you also can't quite trust her. She's very manipulative. She's very snake like in the background. So you're not quite sure 
if what you're hearing is what you are getting with Brandy Rhodes. And so I'm really interested to see how they take that with her. I don't think she's going to end up being the champion of the division, but I do think that at some point somebody is going to take her down to size and it's going to be really rewarding when we get to see that happen. Yeah. All right. Next question we have at WMMAN, or I'm sorry, WMMA News. They ask, they have established on how the world title and tag team titles will be decided, but nothing about the women's belt. How do you see them doing it? Do you see them doing it at a tournament, one match where winner takes all? How do you see this happening, Floyd? Tournament that plays out on TV. Agreed. That would be awesome. Yeah. I, I mean, it's just, you have to show your women's division is different and uh, you want it to be a featured part of your company. Best way to feature it is during the TNT programming. Yeah, absolutely. You've got tag team championship tournament. We've got a lot of focus on the men's division. I think having a tournament for the women to sort it out, showcase their division, showcase the strengths, and really get to know the women as they go through a tournament would be an awesome way to get that belt established. Um, I think that's it for us. We've had a great show with Fight for the Fallen. We are now looking next towards All Out. I believe Floyd and I, you and I both, will be in Chicago for All Out. Yes, we will definitely be in Chicago for All Out. I'm excited. Will Ospreay told me there's a Nando's in Chicago, so I'm going to find that and eat Dude, there. Dude, we got to do that. Yeah, so we're going to go eat some Nando's. I know, give Ospreay a lot of shouts, uh, shout outs, but right now, He's kind of my, he's kind of my favorite wrestler. I just want to watch him wrestle uh-huh. all the time. So he's just really, really hot right now. So, uh, but yeah. So I found out there's a Nando's in Chicago. Very excited about that. I'm also a big fan of White Castle. So I know I'm talking a lot about food, but yeah. Well, so I got the Cody meet and greet, pro wrestling tees meet and greet with the Young Bucks. I am excited for that whole weekend. Me too, man. It's going to be a party, and yeah. we are going all out for it. And number one person on my meat list, Luchasaurus. Yes, yes, please. Right now. <laughs> yes, I am going to. I am going to borderline legally stalk him. Legally, <laughs> legally stalk him. I am going to beat Luchasaurus. That is my goal for the weekend. I, I'm ready for the show, but the weekend is a failure if I don't meet Luchasaurus. I will hold you to that, man. <laughs> I'm excited for that. So, yes, uh, it's just going to be a great weekend. I love seeing my wrestling family. That's what I call them. A lot of people say my wrestling friends. Like, no, I see them so much. They are my wrestling family, and I'm very excited about that. Hashtag AEW fam. Yeah, hashtag AEW fam. And uh, we, we will also be posting Tiffany's review of the show. She is writing for the Social Suplex So you'll be seeing previews and reviews from her. Excellent, man. Well, Floyd, you take us home with your catchphrase because we will see you next time for our all-out coverage leading up, of course, with all things AEW, into All Out in Chicago, and we will see you then. In four days, I am marrying the aforementioned Crystal. You hear about her in the show. I'm very excited about that. Uh, I'm looking forward to telling y'all all about it. I'm going to Vegas again for our honeymoon. These are all information you don't need to know, but I decided to tell you anyway. Congratulations! (laughs) Well, just thank you. Uh, Thank you. But uh, just remember, whether it's home, school, or work, always do your best to be elite.